Our scripture this morning is going to be from the book of James. If you want to find James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 19 through 21. And then we're going to jump over and read chapter 3. James 1, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And then James chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of God. We've been talking about being upside down the past few weeks. And this morning we want to talk about a way to be upside down that I know that we all need to hear. Upside down in our words. Countercultural in what we say. I, I do not have to stand up here and convince any of you that we live in a world that is divided. We live in a world of anger, deep anger and animosity. And 
much of that, of course, is created by our words, isn't it? By what we say, by what we type or post on social media. If we want to be countercultural as the light of Christ in the world, then, Christian, we have to evaluate what we are saying. Because words are powerful. Words are powerful. We're going to look at the upside-down wisdom, upside-down wisdom and words this morning. The power of words coming from the power of wisdom. Are you wise this morning? Look at your words. What have you said? What words have come out of your mouth so far today? Do you even know? What if there was a device, Francis Schaeffer once said, what if there was a tape recorder attached to our heads that recorded everything we thought and said all day? And then that tape got played. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? That would be terrible. Again, I don't need to convince you that our words are a problem. Number one, let's look at the power of words. The power of words. In James chapter 3, he, he says, the tongue is extremely powerful. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship. It's a tiny thing. Words are tiny, but they can control mighty things. They can move, a bit can move a mighty beast of an animal. A rudder can, can move a mighty ship through the ocean. So too is our tongue. So too is our, our words. The words that we say are powerful. Truly, we remember Paul's words that this is an issue of love in 1 Corinthians where he says, knowledge puffs up but love builds up. So when we're talking about words, we want to go back to last week's sermon. Pastor Bill taught us that we are called to be upside down in our love for one another. So everything I'm going to say this morning is actually about love. How do we love each other practically? Love your neighbor. How do you actually do that? What's one practical way that we can love our neighbors as ourselves? Our words. What we say. How we talk. Clearly. In James chapter 3, verse 2, he says that the person that can control their tongue can control their whole life. What power? Now, I won't ask for raised hands, but how many of you in here have learned to completely control your words? Hopefully we all realize that James chapter 3, verse 2 is maybe sarcasm, <laughs> When James says, the man who can control his, whole, his words can control his entire life. And the point is, nope, I haven't learned to do that. You haven't learned to do that. In fact, in just a couple verses, he's going to say, nobody can do that. No one can tame the tongue. In James chapter 1, verse 26, we didn't read this. I didn't read this verse. But it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Maybe you're here this morning and you think you're religious. You don't cuss, you don't chew, you don't run with girls that do. <laughs> right? You're at Bible study, you're at church, you're doing all the right things. 
But what about your anger? What about how you respond to people? See, you can be very religious, but if you don't have control of the words that come out of your mouth, your religion is useless. Nobody wants to hear you. You say, well, Brady, it's my personality. I, say, I just say what I'm thinking. Well, to that I would say your personality is sinful. And it needs to change. And Christ can change it. That's the good news. You, you might say, well, Brady, it's my right. It's my right to say what I'm thinking. And to that I would say, in Christ you are free to give up your rights and to shut your mouth. Genesis 1 and John 1 teach us the power of words. In the beginning, God created. How did he do that? He spoke. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In John 1, John uses the same language. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word of God. He's the living, physical manifestation of God's powerful spoken word. John 1.14, and the word became flesh. Do you see what that's telling us? It, obviously, it's teaching us the Trinity, and it's teaching us deep theological truths, but it's also teaching us a, a practical reality that what we say turns into reality. I remember as a teacher learning the, the um, educational psychology concept of self-fulfilling prophecy. Right? If you say something about a student enough, the student will turn into the thing that you're saying about them. I remember when I first learned that concept, I, it worried me. What power I have. What power I have. Some of you have heard words that have destroyed you. You're useless. You're no good. You're ugly. Why can't you be like your brother? Can't you do anything right? And it has taken you years, even decades, to, to try to move past those words. Others of us have heard encouraging words in our lives. Praise God. I became a, a school teacher because I had a teacher who spoke words of life into me. It changed my life. Encouraging words. You can do it. I'm proud of you. Good job. You're making progress. Keep it up. I love you. These things can change a life. Notes in a lunchbox can change the course of a person's life, can't they? James says that words can produce the righteousness of God. Look at James chapter 1, verse 20. 19 and 20. Hey, let everyone be quick to hear. Listen up, he says. Know this. Pay attention. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the, verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then at the end of chapter 3, the very last verse I read, go to chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. A harvest of what? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The goal here is righteousness. 
which is justice. When we hear the word righteousness, I think sometimes we think like moral uprightness. But that's not what James is thinking of. James is thinking of the Old Testament concept of righteousness, God's righteousness, which is God's justice. In fact, in Greek, the word righteousness and the word justice are all just one word. Dikaiosune. And he uses that word. And he's saying, look, we want justice in this world. And, and the book of James gives us all kinds of examples of justice. Help the widows, help the orphans at the end of chapter 1. Chapter 2, when the rich guy comes into your church and you seat him in the front and the poor guy comes into your church and you put him in the back, mm, shame on you. That's not justice. So James wants us to be a family of justice, the church to be a family of justice, where we're lifting people up, where we're taking those that are downtrodden and we're lifting them up. And what he's saying is, words do that. Words can change a life. Words can lift somebody up. Words can empower somebody. You see, this is upside down. Because we live in a world, and, and we've seen this in the last few weeks. We've, we've had a front row view to what happens when too much talk leads to too much anger, and too much anger does not produce the righteousness of God, does it? But instead... Listen, be, be quick to listen, slow to talk, slow to get angry, and then you got a fighting chance at justice. But we're going to peel back the onion a layer here, because it's not just about our words, is it? James is going to take us a level deeper in what we read, doesn't he? Wisdom, the heart, what we believe. And like any good wisdom writer, like Proverbs, James is going to show us two separate paths of wisdom, isn't he? Earthly wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Earthly wisdom, heavenly wisdom. So earthly wisdom, words of destruction. Do we want a harvest of justice? Do we want a harvest of peace? Do we want to sow in peace so that we reap a harvest of righteousness and justice? Well, there's something in the way of that. Earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom. I'm going to move us backwards through chapter 3 to show us earthly wisdom. So in your Bible, look at James chapter 3, verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, the world's wisdom is earthly, unspiritual. In other words, it's, it's just human. It doesn't have the Spirit of Christ attached to it, the Spirit of God. And it's demonic. That's strong language. Earthly wisdom. Well, what, what's he talking about specifically? What is the earthly wisdom? Back up a verse. Verse 14. James 3, 14. He describes earthly wisdom this way. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. These phrases are probably just two different ways of saying the same thing. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. In other words, you're just all about yourself. You're about your agenda. You know what you want and you're going to get there. You are grasping for power. 
You're advancing the self. This is self-righteousness at its finest, or at its worst, I should say. We get ahead by putting others down. Kids, for you, it's being a bully. It's being a bully. Picking on people. Being mean. Saying nasty things to each other. Parents, for you, this is maybe saying those things that you let fly out of your mouth too quickly towards your children. In our marriages, in our friendships, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. At the end of the day, it's superiority. I am better than you. I am smarter than you. I know more than you. And you need to know that I know more than you. Selfish ambition. By the way, and I say this, I say this with love, I truly believe that most of the talk radio and the TV news shows that we watch with all the talking heads is this. It is this. It is earthly, unspiritual, and I dare say even demonic wisdom. Because it's all, and I don't care if it's conservative or liberal. I don't care if you're watching Fox News or NPR. I don't care. It's all the same boat of selfish ambition. And Christian, you need to not have a steady diet of this. Maybe even no diet of this. Okay, off my soapbox. <laughs> Notice he says in, in verse 16, every disorder and vile practice comes from this. We've all been in that church business meeting, haven't we? Where we all get angry at each other, and then the next thing you know, it's disorder and vile practices. Praise God, we haven't had one of those around here in a long time. That is the grace of God, isn't it? Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 9. Okay, so what, what makes me um, selfish ambition? What, what makes me bitter jealous? What makes me think I'm better than everybody else? Verse 9. The end of uh, uh, verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse people, look at this, who are made in the likeness of God. Here's how you get to this place in your life. You forget that everyone is in the likeness of God. You forgot in Genesis 1. You've forgotten that every single person on the planet deserves respect. Every single person deserves love. Every single person deserves your humble response. Every single person is loved by God. You've forgotten that. And that's why you think you can put people down. That's why you think you can argue with them without listening to them. Because you have forgotten Imago Dei. Imago Dei. This ought not to be. Look at verse 8. It gets worse. We're moving backwards. Remember, we're moving backwards. James started us here. Our tongue becomes a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Our words destroy. Our words kill. Our words murder. That's chapter 4, by the way. What causes quarrels and fights among you? What causes you to murder? He actually says the word murder. What causes you to murder each other? He's probably exaggerating, but he's talking about our speech. 
if we back up from there, end of verse 5, it's a fire. Our words are a fire. A fire, verse 6, set on fire by hell. You see what James is saying? He's saying hell isn't just a place you go to. Hell, is, hell can be in you. Hell can come out of your mouth. He's quoting his brother, Jesus, Matthew 5. Whoever says, I hate you, to his brother, whoever says, you fool, is in danger of the hellfire. Here, James says, the hellfire is in you. It's burning you. It's destroying you. Verse 6, it destroys you, not just the other people. James is saying, it will burn you alive. Verse 10, this ought not to be. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. Can a sweet spring produce bitter water? Church, you are the sweet spring. How can bitter brackish waters flow out of your mouth when you've got the life-giving water of Jesus Christ in you? This ought not to be. He's not saying it can't be. It can be. We know that. But it ought not to be. So what is heavenly wisdom? Number three. What is heavenly wisdom? Words of peace. Verse 17 and 18. The wisdom from above. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. This is upside down. This is gospel wisdom. Gospel wisdom. And so, here's my admonition. Always, 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 first, remember the gospel, then respond. First, remember the gospel, then you can respond. The gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. See, this passage is full of bad news, isn't it? We all have a tongue that we can't control. We, have, we all have a, a, a forest fire flowing out of our mouths. What if we stand in front of God on Judgment Day and He judges us only on what we've said? Let's say He even takes everything we've done off the table. And He says, I'm just going to judge you on your words. Would you pass? Would you get the golden ticket into the factory? No, I wouldn't. Neither would you. Neither would you. We need good news, don't we? We need good news because one day we're all going to stand in front of a holy God. We're going to stand in front of a pure, uh, you know, a, a verse 17 God. Pure, gentle, merciful, righteous, just, holy. And without good news, without someone who has come along and lived this life for us and spoken what we need to speak and been our word for us, we're in trouble. You see, here's what I'm counting on. I'm counting on the day I stand in front of God and He says, okay, Brady, I'm going to start judging you on every word you've ever said. I'm counting on the living word, Jesus Christ, jumping in front of me and saying, here is the word of Brady, my life. And the righteous and pure and holy Heavenly Father will say, well done. 
Well done, good and faithful servant Jesus, who has imputed his righteousness to Brady. So, well done, good and faithful Brady. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Is that your hope today? Is he your hope? Is he your righteousness? Is he your word? I pray he is. If he's not, he can be. It's simple. It's simple. It's a matter of just saying, I want that. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> On Judgment Day, I want Jesus' record to be judged, not mine. I want Jesus' tape recorder to play, not mine. <laughs> I, I want that. I need it. I want it. Can I have it? And God's answer to that question is always yes. Yes. That's good news. That's good news. Okay, but here we are on earth, right? And we got to try to say nice things to each other, don't we? So what do we do? We remember the gospel. We remember the gospel. We remember the, two, the two-sided coin of the gospel. We say this all the time around here. The gospel tells us two things. Number one, it tells us that we are wicked, but it also tells us that we are loved. Look, Christian, I'm, listen to me. That sounds simple, and maybe in your mind you're going, yeah, 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 I hear that all the time. If you will embrace those two simple truths, it will change your life. If you can embrace the concept that you, you are wicked and evil and, and you, you don't know, I, I'm no better than the people I'm arguing with. I'm probably worse. But at the same time, I'm loved. I am passionately loved and forgiven by God. And so I don't need to win the argument with you. What, what am I doing by winning the argument? Getting points? With who? With a God who has already wholly accepted me? I, I've already got an A-plus average. What, why am I doing extra credit? Like, what's going on? Remember the gospel. So remember that you are powerless to control your tongue alone. Verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. Stop trying to tame your own tongue, Christian. In other words, stop trying to save yourself. Instead, embrace what Christ has done for you. In meekness and humility, receive the implanted word. Receive the implanted word. So stop thinking that you can, you can, you know, stop and count to ten. I'll overcome my anger issues by stop, I'll stop and I'll count to ten. Does that really work? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. It seems to me if I stop and count to ten, I just have ten more seconds to get angrier. <laughs> Maybe behavior modification isn't actually the answer. Right? Could that be true? Instead, maybe it's it's heart change that comes by receiving the implanted word. James 1.21. So let me ask you this. Are you receiving the implanted word? Brady, what does that mean? What in the world does that mean? The implanted word is the gospel. James, James will call it the law of liberty a couple times in, in this book. In other words, it's a very simple question. Do you listen to the gospel more than you listen to talk radio, TV news, anything else? Are you preaching the gospel to yourself? Are you listening to it preached, 
taught, read, sung. Are you allowing the gospel to penetrate your brain constantly? That's my question. Are you receiving the implanted word? Or are you letting the bird snatch it up? And the thorns choke it out? And the hot, hot sun scorch it? Or are you letting it fall down on good soil so that when the rains come, you trust Jesus? Do you know only Christ and Him crucified, Christian? Remember, we're still under number one. Remember the gospel. How do I remember the gospel? I remember that I can't tame my tongue alone. I receive the implanted word. And then listen, this, I'm, I'm quoting what Andrew read to us a little bit ago from 1 Corinthians, where Paul walks into Corinth and says, I decided to know nothing but Christ crucified. Have you decided the same, Christian, that you will only know Jesus Christ and him crucified? I will not be dogmatic about any other topic on this planet except the cross. How about that? How would that change our lives if we all made that decision? I will not argue about COVID. I will not argue about politics. I will not argue about any other topic. The only topic I will argue, argue about is the cross. The end. And then will you embrace the wisdom of Christ's character? Will you embrace the wisdom of Christ's character? Verse 17, pure, gentle, open to reason, merciful, good, impartial, sincere. Are you trying to win arguments or are you trying to win relationships? Listen, Christian, you're here to win hearts, not arguments. Are you teachable? That's, that's exactly what it means when he says, are you open to reason? The wisdom of heaven is open to reason. In other words, it can, it, its mind can be changed. Too many Christians... They, they do not let their minds to be, allow their minds to be changed. I'm not talking about the gospel. I'm talking about every other topic but the gospel. Are you seeking reconciliation? Are you removing ill will? Are you accusing people? Are you a hypocrite? Do you bless God on Sunday morning and then curse people on Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? This ought not to be. This ought not to be. And then number two, Respond. I'm going to give you questions to ask. I'm going to move through these quickly. I'm out of time. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some questions. Jot these down. Put them on the fridge. Put them on your computer, your phone. Put them on your bed. Put them on wherever you have your arguments. Your cubicle, wherever it might be. Number one, did I listen first? Before I respond... Did I listen first? Let every one of you be quick to listen. Is the first thing that comes, is your first reply a question? I want to know more. Help me understand you. Or is your first reply always just another, a statement? Well, I think. Let it be a question. Number two, is your, is your response the truth? Is it the truth? Beware of exaggerations. Beware of giving partial information in order to make your cause or your case sound better. But listen, truth isn't enough. This, this cannot be the only litmus test. 
Number three, is my response gentle? Because some of you are really good about spouting out the truth, but you're really bad about being gentle about it. And then, this question. Will my response lift others up? Does it lift others up? That's the justice piece. Does it lift others up? Does it bring peace? Think, think before you reply. Is my reply just going to keep this argument going? Or is it a statement, a question, a loving response that might actually bring peace to a situation? And then lastly, my last question, does your response point people to Christ? Does your response point people to Christ? Church, may we be a people who sow peace unto a harvest of righteousness. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Father, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength. You have redeemed us. Please redeem our speech. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.